The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. On this edition of Tyler's Takedowns. The March 20th, 1982 edition of World Class Championship Wrestling. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Tyler's Takedowns, brought to you by the SJP World Media Network. I'm your host, Tyler Peters. Welcome to our third installment. Last episode, I recapped AEW's all-in event over at Wembley Stadium, emanating live from London, England in the UK. But now it's time to talk some old-school professional wrestling. I'm discussing world-class championship wrestling. WCCW, headquartered in Dallas-Fort Worth area of the state of Texas in the United States of America. And let me give you a little rundown of the history and why I chose to review this uh, specific topic. Ed McLemore was originally the founder for World Class. By 1966, legendary wrestler Jack Atkinson, you know him better as Fritz Von Erich, ran world-class under the Southwest Sports Incorporated banner. Once affiliated with the NWA National Wrestling Alliance, it would become independent by 1986. WCCW earned immense notoriety as a famed territory. Arguably, their best success commenced during the early to mid-1980s. Various bookers like Ken Mantell and Gary Hart, alongside others, helped orchestrate some of wrestling's more compelling angles. Let me uh, give you a little bit of the background on a lot of these wrestlers, including Fritz Von Erich himself. Fritz learned from Stu Hart and played for the defunct NFL team, the Dallas Texans. He also played in the Canadian Football League. Fritz teamed with his kayfabe storyline brother, Waldo Von Erich, and they were known as the evil German brothers. Fritz went his separate ways, or at least Fritz went his separate way, I should clarify, to win the AWA world title and competed for Sam Muchnick's NWA St. Louis Territory. Let me uh, tell you a little bit about the St. Louis Territory. It was such a stronghold for the National Wrestling Alliance in fact, Billy Corgan's NWA still runs their shows at the Chase in the uh, wonderful sports city and also known for their tremendous wrestling in St. Louis, that part of the uh, United States overall. So Fritz Von Erich was starting to garner a lot of attention during this time. In fact, Fritz challenged the NWA world champion at the time, Gene Konitsky. And we all know later on, Fritz Von Erich became the promoter for the Dallas Territory. Fritz even oversaw these major markets, Houston and San Antonio, within the state of Texas, 
So Fritz von Erich was overseeing so much with this world-class championship wrestling promotion. Think about it. You had Dory Funk Sr., who ran Amarillo, Texas, with Dory Funk Jr. and the late, great Terry Funk. It's hard to believe I'm saying Terry Funk's name in the past tense. Uh, We'll never forget you, Terry. Uh, Check out the first episode where I honored Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt. That's why I was able to mention that, and it made me think. It reminded us all by mentioning just the Funk name, and especially Terry's. But they uh, they controlled Amarillo, that territory. You also had Joel Blanchard, who ran San Antonio as part of Southwest. Uh, Tolly Blanchard, that would be his son, one of the original four horsemen. What a lineage. And you got Bill Watts running Louisiana, Mississippi, Oklahoma, and kind of some overlay into Texas, and actually Cowboy Bill Watts would work with Fritz Von Erich. Remember Leroy McGurk, the partnership that Watts and McGurk had? Of course, eventually it would be the Cowboy leading the charge solely and on his own. So that's what I mean. There's so many parallels between all the promotions within Texas. Paul Bosch, Houston Wrestling, we we hear Bruce Pritchard uh, talk fondly of his time there, along with his brother, Dr. Tom Pritchard, who's trained so many of the great modern-day superstars we see today, uh, thanks to Dr. Tom Pritchard. To put it in context, to give you a little bit of the rundown, why the whole Texas territory and, and a lot of the territories that bordered Texas were so vital and important to this overall success to all of professional wrestling and, and why you saw so many of the the same talent on their TVs or on some of their house shows or, or Big events, rather. It was due to them passing through or or having an extensive uh, stint within the companies, the uh, certain promotions. So I wanted to make sure I add a little more depth and context to this episode. I'm not going to promise it's always going to be that way, but I I thought, hey, why not? Let's do it. And uh, let's give you a little bit of uh, the uh, brief history of uh, world-class championship wrestling. We could actually have a full episode on just the history of uh, wrestling and especially a world class. So let's explore the uh, the promotion, what made it great, and answer why fans continue to remember the good old days. Uh, shout out to a lot of my friends who grew up in Texas in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, or they got it on their TV. And This was the good old days for sure at the Sportatorium in Dallas and Texas Stadium, the, the old stadium that's now demolished, I believe, where the Dallas Cowboys, I'm a big Dallas Cowboys fan, uh, were All the crowds grew huge numbers for uh, this promotion, world-class. For them is what I actually topped up there. To add a little bit more context, the date of this episode was March 20th, 1982. And I was only born in December of 1986. So we're talking four years before I even was welcomed into the world. I mean, that that tells you a lot. Uh, So I have to go back and revisit and... uh, analyze a lot of these various territories and i'm happy to do so and thanks to sjp world media all the fantastic people involved with that creative process for allowing me this opportunity i always want to be grateful to them and to you the listeners as well and i hope i've, I've got some world-class re- you know championship wrestling let me get it right world-class championship wrestling have to laugh it's going to happen uh, but I'm going to always try to clarify and get things correct. But I hope I've got some fans of, of that time at, who enjoyed this style of wrestling and the promotion when uh, referencing world-class championship wrestling. That's why I'll be a little redundant there in case I, I didn't get it right the first time or, or even second time, maybe the third will be uh, the lucky charm. 
Uh, right away in the video open, I noticed this funky 80s bass line, which I, I just fell in love with because I love 80s music. I was born in the 80s, uh, so this was just perfect for me. It was indicative of the times, and you had that classic uh, announcer who was uh, going over all the uh, the big stars and, and names at the time, and uh, I always was attracted to to those voices, to the rich, smooth tones. Uh, that's what made me want to go into announcing and to broadcasting and learn commentary was these kind of uh, details that I, I paid attention to. My ears were instantly drawn to. I'm even getting excited uh, discussing it with you when uh, referencing and, and meaning you, the listeners. Uh, we have Mark Lawrence, who also was the ring announcer, but he did commentary. He's doing play-by-play along with Al Madrill. Hopefully, I'm getting the pronunciation correct, who was a famed wrestler for the promotion and was doing color commentary. It was not uncommon, as we see today, to have former wrestlers or even have pro wrestlers during certain matches where they were involved in the storyline with a, a certain uh, opponent come out and, and provide some color commentary. We still see it done today. So there's still some uh, parallels between the modern presentation and the kind of the more territorial uh, older presentation, at least compared to now in 2023 from 1982. Lawrence runs down the match card, and uh, first match is Bugsy McGraw versus Jose Lothario. That name probably rings the bell. It's familiar. Remember Shawn Michaels. WrestleMania 12, Bret Hart and HBK. Shout out to Sai Powell. He's got this new uh, podcast that's going over a lot of the matches and and. I mean, it's just great stuff by side covering all things Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. Jose Lothario was instrumental because he mentored him. He was his trainer, and he was a big part of uh, the mid to late 90s uh, wrestling boom with Shawn Michaels. And he was a major star, a marquee name everywhere, and especially in Texas. And we get our ring announcer, Joe Ranelli. I hope I'm getting that correct. Uh, pardon me if I don't. I try to actually practice the pronunciations, and i got to tell you, from doing softball PA announcing, uh, that didn't always uh, work, I'll tell you. And even in commentary, you'll start learning. Very difficult to do. Our venue, the sport, the Sportatorium, I had to think about it a little bit. But that's, uh, that's always been kind of hollowed ground uh, for world-class championship wrestling. Our referee is Bronco Lubitsch. Let me tell you why this is significant. Uh, Topped up some facts on Mr. Lubitsch. Uh, Bronco came from Hungary. Maybe it's Hungaria is the correct pronunciation. He's of Serbian descent. He immigrated to Montreal, Canada with his family. Bronco came from an amateur wrestling background. Lubitsch was selected to represent Canada in the 1948 Olympics, but after breaking his arm, stopped him from competing. This injury with a broke arm stopped him from actually being a part of the 1948 Olympics. He teamed with Angelo Poffo, the father of Leapin' Lanny Poffo and Randy Macho Man Savage. Lubitsch and Poffo together held the WCCA Texas Tag Team Championships. Lubitsch also wrestled for Jim Crockett Sr. in Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, and I believe that creatively assisted world class in booking and coming up with the various angles. So I wanted. To, I always love doing that. Is what I'm trying to get at is research a lot of these wrestlers who will referee or they're they're working behind the scenes or you'll see them on camera. 
I mean, a lot of us don't know it if we're we're casually just going back on the WWE Network. For, I know internationally it's still the network, but it's Peacock for us over here in the North America. Actually, that's my source of watching and catching up with a lot of these uh, more traditional wrestling promotions representing the times, this uh, era. And Lothario, his wrestling career began in the 1950s in Mexico. He crossed paths with Dusty Rhodes and Dick Murdoch while competing in Florida. He was an NWA Florida tag team champion with Danny Miller, and one of his famed rivalries was against world-class star gorgeous Gino Hernandez. Remembered a touch on it, he mentored the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Bugsy McGraw, here's some notes on him. McGraw defeated the great Malenko, Boris Malenko, who's the father of Dean Malenko for the NWA Brass Knuckles Championship. Bugsy also triumphed over Dusty Rhodes by winning the NWA Florida Television Championship. So a lot of references to Florida, and you'll see that. That's what I mean by a lot of the same talent uh, becoming fresh when they came into a, a different promotion. You start kind of comprehending these things a lot better, uh, even uh, going over stats and, and certain uh, details uh, regarding their respective careers. Bugsy is rugged. That That's a takeaway. Maybe not a takedown, but a takeaway nonetheless. Lothario can brawl if need be. I, I think we always misrepresent a lot of the Hispanic wrestlers for just knowing how to do luchador. And that's not the case. Both men fought through the crowd. It reminds me of a good old Texas bar fight. There's a continuous movement uh, just correlating into action that keeps you invested. Uh, McGraw implemented steel chairs and illustrated old school wrestling, not just wrestling. You like how I said it? It's wrestling. Following by each slugging it out. I believe these men, when they fought, it made you suspend your disbelief. It surely did. Jose grabbed McGraw's beard, so if you were bearded, that could be used against you, kind of like in football. They can grab your, if you've got long hair. I mean, that that's what's related to uh, even other sports, even back then with uh, pro wrestling. The broadcasters, Mark Lawrence and Al Madrill, did a wonderful job because they described the bout as wild. McGraw wins, though, by using an illegal object on his fist. So I, I thought it was a fun first match. What a way to open up the program. Our second match is Wild Bill Irwin versus Richard Blood. And I, I also wrote down some notes on both these competitors. Irwin, the notes on him, trained under brother Scott Irwin. And supposedly, from what I, I read, Vern Gagne was also instrumental. But that's kind of been denied, I think, by Irwin himself, at least according to, to what you read on or, you know, here even. He's had stints in Mid-South. He was an NWA Central Tag Team Champion. Speaking of his brother, Scott, both of them were the NWA Central Tag Team Champions. They formed the Super Destroyers, managed by Skandor Akbar, who was notorious for being in world class in Mid-South and a legendary wrestler himself. Bill won the NWA Texas World Championship from Al Madrill, of all people who's commentating. He teamed with Bugsy McGraw, so a, a lot of parallels within the matches with uh, the, the stories. That, that's what I love. We're all keeping it together, even though this is a different match, different oppositions. And they were the NWA Texas World Tag Team Champions were Bugsy McGraw and Wild Bill Irwin. And uh, Wild Bill Irwin feuded versus David Von Erich. And, uh, of course, you got to get a Von Erich in there. Captain Frank Dusick. 
accompanied Erwin. Uh, Dusik is a second-generation wrestler and the son of Wally Dusik. He booked and commentated for Fritz Von Erich, beat Barry Windham for the NWA Southern Heavyweight Championship, broadcasted for Watts as UWF, the Universal Wrestling Federation, as part of Mid-South and wrestled in Mid-Atlantic. And Irwin created an unexpectation, uh, circa carrying a bull rope to the ring. I always love that old-school presentation. And uh, while Bill Irwin was wild, let me tell you, with that bull rope. Notes on Richard Blood. His name was Tommy Wright. He began his journey in Florida. Once again, that's a reoccurring theme. Florida stands out. I'm assuming uh, championship wrestling from Florida is where he got his start. Blood wrestled for Bill Watts, UWF, the Universal Wrestling Federation. It's there again. Gained success under Ron Fuller's Southeastern Continental Championship Wrestling promotion. He was an NWA United States Junior Heavyweight Champion. I hope I got that down correctly. So he was he found a lot of success. I'll just go back to that word. And was also known as Mr. Olympia at one point, I, I believe is what I was you know, gathering from my homework. Bill Irwin held the Texas Heavyweight Championship. However, this was a non-title matchup. Blood employed evasiveness. He had to be quicker than the bigger Bill Irwin. Dusick instructed while Bill, while Bill, that's what I'm trying to say. Let me try to say that three times fast. My goodness. A good manager discusses strategy. Irwin outpowered his opponent, and that pep talk seemed to change the tone of the match. Irwin presented an unorthodox style, to say the least. Wild Bill Irwin won by connecting with a high-risk elbow drop from either the, the middle or top turnbuckle. Lawrence interviews Bugs and McGraw, and does he have something to say? McGraw beats his chest, and the man is violently angry, and McGraw just wants to hit someone. So I always enjoy those interviews. And going back to the Wild Bill Irwin and Richard Blood matchup, I I meant to say that was another just solid contest. Our third match features King Kong Bundy with Gary Hart versus Jesse Leone with Jose Lothario. And and part of me, I know he's got a middle name that's part of his gimmick, uh, but I would butcher it, so I'm just going to call him Jesse Leone. Bundy with hair stood out. It was interesting. David Manning refereed. He was crucial in the success of World Class, just like Bronco Lubitsch before. Uh, but refereed a lot of these matches, did David Manning. Uh, let's not understate his importance. Jose grabs the mic, though, to challenge Bugs and McGraw, so I like how we're continuing their feud even into this matchup. Larry Sharp trained Bundy, and, of course, the big man wrestled for the WWF, currently now known as WWE, as Chris Kenyon, not to be confused with the other Chris Canyon, it was a, actually even spelled a little different, even though there were similarities. But by 1982, Bundy went to world class. He joined the Von Erichs, yet turned on them by aligning with that evil Gary Hart. He faced Fritz Von Erich in Texas Stadium for his retirement match. But King Kong Bundy would be well-traveled in AWA, Mid-South, Memphis versus Jerry the King Lawler. Bundy returned to the WWF to challenge the world heavyweight champion Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 2 in Los Angeles, California, wrestling the Hulkster inside that famed blue steel cage, yet Hogan retained the world title. Bundy grabbed the mic and he wants Lothario to speak English, so that gets heat from the Hispanic uh, audience, the portion of, of that crowd, but he's got to be the, the heel, the, the bad guy, right? Leon gets dominated early. Bundy is just too big. That's his advantage. 
uh, pretty straightforward. Jesse can outsmart and outquick Bundy, however. It infuriated Bundy. The story of Bundy betraying the Von Erics was conveyed once again by Lawrence and Madrill on commentary. It's important to get those storylines across. Leon used drop kicks to keep Bundy off balance. Fans witnessed this classic underdog story with the underdog vibes, no less. And later, Bundy slams Leon for the victory. American heavyweight champion Kerry Von Erich takes on Armand Hussein. He corrected the ring announcer, did Hussein, as he's honorable. Hussein performed a camel walk, which was something to see. He built from the African country of Sudan. The African champion began aggressively. Armand wore a pointed boot similar to the Iron Sheik. Kerry retaliates for a bit. Von Erich applied the Iron Claw that was passed down from his father, Fritz, on Hussein's midsection, maybe even his belly, and appeared to have the match won until the Great Kabuki interfered. Al Madrill leads the broadcast in disgust. He can't take it anymore and helps carry Von Erich out while attacking Kabuki with all four men fighting because you had King Kong Bundy join the fray is what I should have said. And Gary Hart would get involved. He gets drilled for sticking his nose in it by Madrill. And Kerry beats up Hussein. It appears Hart's plan backfires, but I enjoyed how Gary Hart held back the great Kabuki. There's no winner. It's a double disqualification. But to end the program, we see highlights of the great Kabuki take on Kerry Von Erich in San Antonio, Texas. Kerry tried to plot on the outside opposite Kabuki with Gary Hart in his corner, while Fritz Von Erich was at ringside in Kerry's corner. Kabuki gained the upper hand. Fritz attacks Gary Hart, and the modern-day warrior took back control. Kerry applied the iron claw on Kabuki's forehead. This is what was so fascinating. Kabuki tried escaping by utilizing the ropes and turnbuckles while still in the claw. Bundy comes out, and Fritz beats up Gary Hart again. Bundy gets involved, though, to even up the score on Fritz. Kerry takes care of King Kong Bundy and helps Kabuki win the match. Fritz nails Bundy, and Kabuki nailed Fritz, while Bundy bear hugs the elder Von Erich. Kerry punches Gary Hart, and Kevin Von Erich emerges to help even up the score and make the save. Very exciting you know, when you're describing these angles, the, the type of stories they were betraying in world-class championship wrestling. Here's some notes on uh, Gary Hart. Gary Hart wrestled in Chicago for promoter Fred Kohler and worked for Jim Barnett when he ran in Australia. Hart got involved with Georgia Championship Wrestling under Ole Anderson. During his world-class run, Hart was responsible for the golden years by creating that Headline rivalry between the Von Erichs and the fabulous Freebirds. Wrestlers he managed were Killer Brooks, the one-man gang, gorgeous Gino Hernandez, and gentleman Chris Adams and Al Perez. Georgia and Mid-Atlantic, he enjoyed success there, as we mentioned, Georgia, and as well as for Jim Crockett and Mid-Atlantic and for WCW. World Championship Wrestling, Hart competed with Against, he actually competed against the USWA slash world-class promotion under the Von Erickson Jerry Jarrett with the Global Wrestling Federation out of Dallas. They were based out of the Dallas area. Let me uh, reinstate that fact. Yeah, Gary Hart is uh, a journeyman and, and, and one of the more brilliant managers psychologically. He just understands the wrestling business. So he's one of my favorite managers as much as I, I hold Bobby Heenan or a Jim Cornette in high regard. You have to, to put Gary Hart on that list for, you know, different, a different way. If nothing else, uh, I hope that makes sense as I'm trying to think of the right terminology, but think of all the talent. He managed a great Muda during that 
that fantastic run, I, I believe, for Muda that could have been better. But when he feuded against Sting and Ric Flair, uh, you know, Gary Hart had his Hill Corporation then. He was just, and he, he was responsible for getting those crowds to the buildings. We, we mentioned him earlier, and, and there were so many that contributed. But Gary Hart should be praised for his creative mind and prowess and helping Fritz in that office. I mean, Gary Hart was the man. He had everything figured out. Uh, certainly, and sad to say a lot of these people have passed, but yet some are still alive. Kerry Von Erich was the NWA World Heavyweight Champion after defeating Ric Flair at the Texas Stadium show, and that was a monumental moment for sure, certainly. In other feuds, it was Kerry taking on Gino Hernandez, Chris Adams, and even Jake Roberts. That's correct, Jake the Snake Roberts. He challenged Jerry Lawler for the AWA World Heavyweight Championship and wrestled for Vince McMahon and the WWF. Uh, during the years of 1990 through 1992 as the Texas Tornado. Sadly, Kerry passed away in 1993. It explains why territorial wrestling was great. World class left us desiring more, and Mark Lawrence says farewell. Well, this has been the third episode of Tyler's Takedowns. I hope you've enjoyed it. My name is Tyler Peters once again. Please check out these shows, Chain Wrestling with the great Cy Powell and Lord Max, Nitro Nuts with Scottish Danny and Cy Powell. Also in the corner when he returns with the great Benny Mack. I owe a lot to those gentlemen and to all of you who support me. I try to do better about writing down more of the shows and give you a shout out. But please, uh, if you like what you're hearing, uh, subscribe to all these podcasts, uh, non-wrestling and r- wrestling alike, with all the uh, regarding all the content. In other words, but I'm just so happy you took time to join me when this gets released. But this has been the third episode where we looked at the March 20th, 1982 edition of World Class Championship Wrestling. And until next time, I'm saying farewell myself, taking uh, notes from the great Mark Lawrence from world class and there you go it's been another exciting edition of tyler's takedowns i'm saying goodbye for now